You know, I was thinking this week, it's interesting how different fields have their own language. Engineering, computing. My son can write computer programs in seven computer languages. I didn't even know there were seven computer languages. Uh, But I was thinking along that line and thinking how we, the church, often has our own words that mean things to us that might not mean the same to someone else. A friend of mine was sitting in church waiting for to get started and someone came up and looked at the empty chair next to him and said, is that seat saved? He said, who am I to judge? <laughs> they were also talking about starting new churches and they used the term church plants. And the same guy wanted to know if they were real plants or the fake ones you get at the dollar shop. Okay, so much for my humor. (laughs) All that to say, for me as a kid, it threw me when I heard the expression, the tides belong to the Lord. The tides, is that like the high tides and the low tides? They belong to the Lord? Obviously what they were saying was the tides belong to the Lord, not the tides. But I didn't get that because once I figured out it was tithes, I still didn't, had no clue what they were talking about. Can you imagine being a non-English speaker and trying to figure out the difference between tithes and tithes? And then once you figure out that it's not tithes, it's tithes, you still have no clue what that means. When Mary was uh, young, they had a little kid in their neighborhood, and he got to the age where he couldn't quite say his R's. His name was Ricky, but he said it, Wiki. And so Mary's dad had met this little boy, and he he introduced himself. He said, he's Wiki. He said, Wiki, it's good to meet you. And the kid said, not Wiki, it's Wiki. (laughs) It's not tithes, it's tithes. So if you guess, we're going to talk about tithes and offerings. We need a whole picture of God's truth if we're going to understand that. We've talked about in the past, God's our source, breaking the hold of mammon in our lives. If you don't get that, then the rest of this will make no sense. In fact, uh, usually we get little bits and pieces of it. We don't get the whole thing. And so we uh, end up with a, a wrong understanding So, let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would reveal yourself, your character, and your ways to us and set us free from anything that hasn't been your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Those of you who heard sermons on this know where we're going. Turn to Malachi chapter 3. But we're going to start in verse 1. It says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord. What we're going to talk about has to be seen in the context of covenant. God's in covenant with us. And we're in covenant with him. If you don't understand that in the love of God, then we get things wrong. But who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a launderer's soap. 
He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purchase them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering of righteousness. The context of that is the day of the Lord, which is a huge theme in the, the Bible that leads us to the last days. And so what we're talking about is in the context of covenant and love of God, but also in preparation for the coming of the day of the Lord, the end, which is a great and terrible day. It's a day of God's pouring out his love on us who know him and a day of judgment for those who don't. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years, and I will come near you and I will come near you for judgment. And it goes on, uh, verse 6. For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of the, your father, you have gone away from my ordinances or my pattern and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord. But you say, in what way shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you've robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings, you're cursed with a curse. For you have robbed me, even the whole nation. Bring all the tithes in the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be enough to receive it. Leviticus 27.30 says, the tithe is holy. The tithe is holy to the Lord. Let me just get there. It says, all the tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the land, is the Lord's. It's holy to the Lord. It's here. So what is tithe? Terrible word. It actually means tenth. Ten percent. Now think about it. Why does God want ten percent back? Have you ever thought of that? He's our source, Right? So what we have has come from him. Why does he want it back? Did he make a mistake? Oops. God says, oops, I gave Johan too much. Give me 10% back. I'm going to run out. Do you think that's the case? He needs a refund? See, I think if we understand, it's very clear that it belongs to him. And if we don't bring it, we're robbing him. Why is that? We need to understand it's not for him, it's for us. It's a reminder to us that he's our source. Everything we have, it comes from him. God set it up this way. He says, I'm going to give you this, and I'm going to ask you to give some back to me, because in doing so, you're going to remember that I'm the one who gave it to you. Because there is this tendency in all of us to forget he's our source and to look at the natural Steve shared this scripture when he talked a couple of weeks ago, but in Deuteronomy chapter 8, from verse 16, it says, talking about God, who fed you the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, and he might humble you, that he might test you 
to do you good in the end. God's plan is to always do us good. Then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. You shall, and you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. God's the source. And the natural tendency is to look beyond him and see the natural, to see my job or myself or my business and say, that's my source. And God's wanting to remind us that everything we have comes from him. He's not just the source of our finances. He's the source of everything. He's the source of grace. He's the source of forgiveness. We talked about that. My wife pointed out to me, uh, she had a, a, just an understanding that I had said a few weeks ago that humility unlocks grace. Grace unlocks thanksgiving, gratitude, and generosity. But gratitude and thanksgiving unlock not only generosity, but the miraculous. Interesting, when Jesus going to feed the, the 5,000. He has these five loaves and two fishes. And what does he do? He gives thanks to God first. So there's something about our humility that unlocks the grace that we receive, forgiveness, God's, God's blessing, that results in a heart of gratitude that leads to our being generous with everything God's given us, Freely you receive, freely give. Whether it's forgiveness, whether it's grace, we're going to see in a minute where that goes. I'm moving toward, toward a goal here. It's just a long roundabout way to get there. So if you're thinking, okay, Bible says bring the tithe. Back to Malachi 10. It says bring the tithe into the storehouse. Where do we bring the tithe? Into the storehouse. Now, that's an interesting word. What is a storehouse? It's actually a store. It's a house where you store things. <laughs> so profound. That was the, the prof profound thing for the day. Okay, so I just want you to know that. It's a house where things were stored. Sometimes what they brought was produce or livestock, and so they had a place where they stored it. It wasn't always just money. Uh, Basically, in every town where things were stored. Now, I've always believed that the, is the local church where we're planted and nurtured. But hear me, I won't argue with you about that because the Bible just isn't that specific. If you see something different in the Bible, go for it. The Bible doesn't say that clearly, but it does say this. Bringing the tenth is not giving. It's returning to God what is already his. So you can't rob someone if you don't give them something. You rob them when you don't return to them what is theirs. Kind of like you check out a book from the library and then two weeks later, you take it back and you say, I'm making a donation of this book. I'm giving you the book. Give me a tax receipt because I'm giving you the, the donation of this book. And they say, no, no, no. It was our book to start with. 
So you can't come to God and say, God, look what I'm giving you. God says, no, you're not giving me anything. You're returning what was already mine. Still with me? But it does say tithes and offerings. Is there something else? Look over in 2 Corinthians. Chapter 8. I'm going to read from 1 to 7. It says, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality or generosity. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us that with much urgency that we should receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that we had begun, that he would also complete this grace to you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you also abound in this grace also, which is a grace of giving. Okay? We're not talking about tithes now. We're talking about something else. Chapter 9, from verse 5, says this, Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time. Now he's going, referring back to this grace that they're, this giving that they're, gift they're going to give. To go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. Isn't that a whole different attitude? But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully or with blessing. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. He's not talking about your tithe. He's talking about sowing seed, which is something for the future. It's giving to something else. Tithe is not giving because it's God's. So what is he saying? He's saying, hey, you can give beyond that. You're not limited by this tithe amount. How many people say, if, if I bring my tithe, my 10%, I can do whatever I want with the rest? And God says, you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Wait, there's still a stewardship for the rest of it? Oh, no. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Isn't that wonderful? And it's written, he who dispersed abroad, he is given to the poor, his righteousness exists endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food 
Supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. While you are enriched or made rich in everything for all liberality. You're made rich for liberality, for generosity, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies... Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going too far. We'll just leave it there. What is he saying? He's saying that offerings are something beyond our tithe that we're sowing and expecting to see a return in the future. So if tithe says God's the source of everything I have, everything I've received, offerings is saying God's the source of everything I will receive. What are they? Helping others? Giving to the poor? Kingdom ministries? How much? It doesn't say. How much do you give as you're sowing? As much as you have faith for. It doesn't specify an amount. Let me say this. Tithing is obedience. Offerings are faith and obedience. What do I mean by that? You need to walk in relationship and say, God, can I give? How much should I give? A few years ago, we had someone in the church who was, didn't have a car, and Mary and I, our first thought was, we have two cars, we'll, we'll give them one of ours. And uh, we had done that once in the past, and we were blessed, and we thought, that's a great thing. And we were praying about it and preparing to do that, and God actually stopped us and said, you're not to do that. And I went, but why? He said, because I want the others in the church to participate in this blessing. So rather than receiving an offering for the church on Christmas Sunday, we actually received an offering that went into providing someone a car. If you were here and you gave to that, you've already sowed seeds for the future, maybe without even realizing it. That's offering. You still with me? Tithe is returning to God what's his. It's saying, God, everything I have has come from you. Offering is actually sowing for the future. It's saying, everything I will have comes from you. It really comes down to the importance of trusting God. Now, I told you when we started, we're not going to take an offering at the end of this. We're not doing this because we're trying to get you to give more. We don't have a need as a church. Though we will provide you an opportunity in a few weeks to give to the Billy Graham, uh, Will Graham celebration launch on the 14th of November. Uh, I'm going to encourage you to ask God if you should. And, and if you should be a part of that, that's not for us. That's for the city. That's outreach that is going to be preaching the gospel to the city. Uh, but in the bigger picture, I want you to understand that everything God says is in a bigger picture of trusting him. The importance of trusting God. You know what the middle verse in the Bible is? Psalm 118, verse 8. And it says this, it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. 
the very middle of the Bible. It's better to trust in the Lord. Trust in God is one of the major themes. That word trust occurs 48 times in Psalms alone about trusting in God, not trusting in ourselves. Why is that important? Because when everything around us is shaken, we need to be trusting him. The Bible says in those last days, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And the only thing that won't be shaken is the kingdom. That's why we're talking kingdom finances. That's the, the context of everything we're doing. Everything will be shaken. I want to tell you, I'm not prophesying doom and gloom. I'm telling you that's what the Bible says. And if your trust is in the financial system of the world, you will be shaken. So God in his love says, no, 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 trust me. I know the covenant I have with you. Follow my ways. Remember that I'm your source. But more than that, or in addition to that, not more than that, understanding trust in God leads us to bigger things, other things. Turn with me to Luke, chapter 16. From verse 10, it says this, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? If you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things and did, derided him. That means they looked, they turned up his no, their nose at him. Yeah. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination to the Lord. What is that saying? Hear me carefully. It's saying money is the least important. And if we can't be faithful with what is least, how is God going to entrust us with the true riches? We're getting serious now. As I told you, I had a friend who uh, was from Texas. He said that you've gone from preaching to meddling. But that's what it says, right? If money is the least, what's the true riches? I think the gospel of the kingdom and the confirmation of that with signs and wonders are the true riches. They're eternal. The consequences of the gospel is eternal. People get saved for eternity. No matter how much money you have and no matter how, much, how many people you help with that money, they're still going to face eternity. You can't redeem them from that with money. So God says, he set up this whole system and he says, I'm testing you in this. That's what he said in Deuteronomy 8. Will, 
Will you be faithful with what is least? Will you follow my ways? Will you recognize I'm your source? Will you give me the glory so that I can trust to you the true riches, which is the gospel and the supernatural, and you continue to give him the glory? Or will you say, hmm, my spirituality has got me this. Someone just got healed. Look what I did. Okay, we're getting serious now. What's it mean for us? This whole series is about having a revelation of God's character and his whole pattern. Everything he does toward us is because he loves us and he's in covenant with us. He knows what's coming. And he says, these are the things that will prepare you for that. Because of his love. But that revelation of his character and his pattern sets us free from greed and guilt. There's been a huge amount of guilt put on people because if you don't have the whole pattern and you take a small part of it, and you talk about tithes and offerings, and if I, as a leader of a church, don't see God as my source, but I see you as the source, and I start putting pressure on you, manipulating you through guilt, pretty soon you come under some spirit of guilt that I have to do certain things. So how many of us, when an opportunity comes for an offering, we feel a grudging, grudging obligation? That's what 1 Corinthians said. Oh, what will someone think if I don't give? That's not God's heart or character. That's not his pattern. And we need to be set free from guilt. When we understand God's way, we can begin to understand it's more blessed to give than to receive. Why? Because we're partnering with him for his kingdom, and he finds us faithful, and he says, I can give more. I can release more. I can give more. And we become channels for kingdom advancement rather than dams where everything stops up. God will still provide for you because he loves you. But you wonder how come you don't have an abundance? I'd probably say because you don't understand God's way and God's character. Would you bow your head? As I was preparing this, I felt the Holy Spirit say he wanted to set people free from guilt. Because unless you understand God's ways, unless you realize he's your source, you can't give with joy and blessing. That word blessing is more blessed. It's happy. It's happier to give. You can't do that unless you understand God's ways. And so what happens is you get this guilt put on you. 
when you understand God's way, it's like, okay, give me a chance, God. I love to give. Have you bow your heads with your eyes closed just so that you're not distracted by anyone else? But I really believe there's something of God wanting to remove. The picture I have is a blanket of guilt. Kind of something that someone else has put on. Could use the biblical terminology in Saul's armor, put on David wasn't what God had for him. It was some, what some man thought he needed. God doesn't think you need guilt. So Holy Spirit, will you right now, in your love and grace and mercy, as we simply humble ourselves before you, would you release grace and remove guilt? There's no place. There's no place for condemnation. There's no place for the enemy to have an open door because we believe something wrong about you. You're not angry with us. You're not upset with us. You love us and you delight in us. And as we receive your goodness, we're able to release that same goodness. As we receive your forgiveness, we're able to release that forgiveness to others. As we receive your grace, we're able to release grace. As we receive your resources, we're able to release those resources for the advancement of your kingdom. Lord, change our thinking. Expand our thinking. That it's not just about us, but it's that we're partnering with you for the advancement of your kingdom. What a privilege. What an honor. And Lord, that as we're faithful in the least, you give us and trust to us the true riches. Oh, what a privilege. But right now, we just take authority over guilt in Jesus' name. I say, be released. In the name of Jesus, be released. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me say, there's something that's happened in the bigger picture in much of the church, and there was this uh, emphasis that became known as the prosperity gospel that... God wants to make you wealthy, and it was really focused on greed. And many people have reacted to that and swung the pendulum to the poverty gospel. It's more spiritual to be poor. Mary and I were part of a mission organization for years, and that was our belief. We, if we had anything, we gave it away. And we were blessed in that but we had a wrong understanding that God wanted us poor because we saw the abuse of the other side. Let me tell you, neither is right and neither is wrong. God does want you to be blessed, 
Maybe not to that extreme, but there is something that says, hey, if money becomes my focus, it's better not to have it. We just need to be set free for God's pattern, not the world's. Either way. Not the greed or the guilt. If you have something, you should give it away because you're not very spiritual. There's always other people who have less than you have. Let me set you free here. God, the Bible says, God determined where you would be born. He decided you would be born in this nation, one of the wealthiest nations in the world. He made that choice. Why? I have no clue. So should we feel guilty because there are other people who are poor? Take everything you have, liquefy it all, and we'll give it to the poor people. And then what will happen? We'll all be poor. Now, when we push that to an extreme and we say, I live here and I'm fairly wealthy because I'm better than everyone else, you better repent. That's not the, the plan. But when you say, hey, God's blessed me so that I can be a channel. Not everything I have, but what? We're going to talk next week. How much is enough? The answer is going to be different than what you think. How much is enough? When do I have enough? I'll give you a hint. So you don't think that you're not afraid to come next week. The answer to that is between you and God alone. No one else determines that. I can't determine that for you. No one else can determine that for you. Because if we try and get into that, what happens is that we're releasing guilt. Tim's got too much. He's not very spiritual. I'm sure he's greedy. Yet he's releasing what he has. I was in a, a conference. Unfortunately, I was in uh, Asia, a conference that I was part of. And one of the guys who was speaking was talking about... Uh, he was talking about... Uh, statistics, sometimes statistics, you can make them say different things, but he was basically saying his, his whole message was that Americans spend $12 billion a year on ice cream. $12 billion a year on ice cream. And that everyone could have safe drinking water for about $10 billion. And so his point was, if Americans would just quit eating ice cream, everyone could have safe drinking water. And I left the meeting feeling guilt. I wanted to say to everyone who was with me, let's go get ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> but I was feeling this guilt, and I, and I began to say, okay, God, why am I feeling this guilt? Has something been put on me? At that point, Mary and I were giving away about 30% of our income. We were still in the more the, the uh, it's more spiritual be poor concept. But God had blessed us and we had plenty. But in the midst of that, I began, I thought, 
I wonder what else Americans give. So I actually looked up at that point. This is about 15 years ago. Americans gave $350 billion a year to charities. $350 billion every year. That's over a trillion dollars every three years. When you're given that kind of money, you can eat all the ice cream you want. <laughs> See, we, we end up trying to motivate people by guilt. If you ate ice cream, you're not spiritual. How many of us have not been spiritual this week? Besides me. Okay, I ate ice cream this week. What was that? <laughs> the key is that God loves us. And he wants to bless us. But in that, he wants us to remember that he's our source. And there's a bigger picture that we get the privilege of partnering with him. Let me tell you this. If you don't, it doesn't affect your salvation at all. God's not saying if you don't give, you're not going to heaven. That's not what he says. He says, this is what's good for you. But don't come under condemnation and guilt. Okay, where you stand? I'm running off at the mouth now. My wife is out with the kids, so I'm going to hear about it later. Lord, we just stand humbled and amazed at your goodness. You're so much bigger and so much more loving and so much more generous than we can ever comprehend. And Father, we've been the recipients of so much. We are well off compared to the rest of the world. We've been the recipients of resources, but so much more than that, we've been the recipients of your forgiveness. You sent your son to take our sin, to die on the cross and take our sin, that we could become the righteousness of God. We've received righteousness not because of us, but because of you. And Lord, when we understand the bigger context of that, we understand that you're the source of everything that we have. So open our eyes to see your faithfulness in everything. And help us to carry that attitude and that revelation as we impact people in the world. In Jesus' name, amen.